Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Star Wars Bookworms. Enjoy. Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. So, Teresa, with Rogue One coming next week, what is your current excitement level? Mm, four? Five? Four out of five? Four? Yeah, probably somewhere around there. You're saying four out of five, not four out of ten? No, like four out of ten. Oh, four like, out of ten. Don't we usually do these things on a scale of one well, to ten or something? Four just sounds really low. That's why I was questioning it. <laughs> it is low. Your it excitement is. level is four out of ten. You were just watching the, uh, like the YouTube or not the YouTube? What is it? The Facebook like red carpet event thing. I was watching it on YouTube. Oh. Uh, the yeah, well, just because I'm working on my planner and wanted to have something Star Wars on in the background because I already watched watched Rebels. So, and it was on. Plus, people were going to talk about it, so I figured I might as well know what people are talking about. But. I know it sounds low, but it's um, I don't know these characters really, and it's much more of a military film than a force-filled lightsaber film. So I'm waiting to see it because I don't know if I'm gonna like it. So I'm like, okay. Well, we will sign. We will find out soon. We, we will have, find out. soon. We don't have yeah. that much longer to wait, and um. We did promise, or kind of promise, we kind of hinted at the idea last episode when we reviewed Ahsoka that we were going to try to get Catalyst done and reviewed before the film came out. And Correct. you're you're feeling kind of sick today, and there's the red carpet event going on, and we're still doing this recording tonight because we wanted to keep, we wanted to make good on that and actually get this review in. And you actually finished um, reading the book. You did it really quick. Um, I finished reading the book today too, so we are going to actually get to that review. Um, but as far as my excitement level goes, I'm I'm actually getting more excited for this movie than I thought I was going to. And I don't know if it's just because of all the hype and all the trailers and all the stuff that's coming out right now, but suddenly I'm like, oh, this is going to be a really cool movie and I cannot wait to see it next week. But probably up until a few days ago, I wasn't there yet. Hmm. You know, I think for me, part of it is that there have been two really awesome films that have just just come out within the last, you know, month or so, and I'm nervous that this movie's not going to have the same impact on me as those two, which makes me sad because it's Star Wars. So I'm hoping that it does, and I'm hoping that it's really good. Uh, Catalyst was a surprise to me as far as the wit, how much I enjoyed reading it and the, I liked the story. So I don't know. I guess, well, uh, I don't know. It's weird. I watched the trailers and I watched all the clips and stuff and I like Jen, but I'm not like crazy bonkers about her. Like I was about Ray. I like K2SO, but I'm not like, he's not BB eight. And I'd, I'm like, I don't know. It's so weird. <laughs> it almost sounds like, like you're I, afraid to like it. No, I'm not afraid to like it. I'm just hoping that 
that it's really good and I'm hoping that I really enjoy the story and that I really love the characters and I'm hoping that like it's more than just, you know, a military movie because I don't love military movies. I like certain ones, you know, like Saving Private Ryan is one of my top five favorite movies of all time. But like it's it's weird for me. I don't know why. It just is. But I'm excited to see a planet with sand and like an ocean. I think that's kind of cool. That's new. Yeah. Walkers walking through the sand. Pretty cool. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm sure it's going to be good. I don't know. It's. It'll, oh, we'll have to see. Because I saw Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them twice in under a week. And I saw Moana twice in two days. So I guess <laughs> we're just going to have to see, like, how how this has an impact on me as far as, like, rewatchability. But I'm fingers crossed that it's going to be amazing. Um, the only other reason I think that I'm sort of not as pumped about it is that... The clothing that has come out for Rogue One, if you've listened to the most recent episode of Galactic Fashion, I think it was number 18, I was complaining about how it's all these monotone, you know, just super drab colors like green, olive green and brown and black and, you know, it's just, there's no vibrancy to it and I think I, you know, we we all know I like My Little Pony so there's like no rainbows and bright colors. (laughs) No, so, definitely not. So I don't. I don't know. Maybe that's part of the problem. <laughs> yeah, I think with the seeing some of the trailers that have come out recently and all the clips that I've seen, I was kind of I kind of went on a blackout for a little bit because I didn't want to see too much. I felt like the trailers were revealing too much of the movie. But now, with kind of getting really excited about it coming out next week, I have watched pretty much every clip I think that they've released, including the ones that have been released on like the late night shows and. Mm-hmm. Every clip a... I've seen, I've like, I thought it was great. Like the lines were great, the humor was great. K two S O seems to ha- have all the best lines of the movie. Um, I don't know. I think it's gonna be really cool. It's gonna be completely different than what we're used to with Star Wars because Star Wars has always been centered around you know that the saga and the Luke Skywalker story and and all that comes from that. But this is you know something completely different, and I I don't know. I think it's gonna be a, a nice change. Well. I think it's sort of like how Fantastic Beast was for Harry Potter fans. You couldn't go into Fantastic Beast expecting it to be a Harry Potter movie because it's very much not. And I think this is the same kind of deal. It's in a, in the Star Wars universe, but it's not a Skywalker Star Wars movie, you know. And I think that that's imp- an important distinction. But you said something about K2SO. He has a lot of really good lines. I just saw a clip as we were watching the uh, Red of We. I think you were watching it, weren't you? I yes, was. I think I probably okay. saw the That's same clip. I, yeah, he, he he like smacks Cassian across the face. <laughs> yes. And like that was funny. I will I will go ahead and say like probably my biggest concern. I saw Felicity Jones on Ellen, and I was really excited. I re- recorded that one specifically so I could see her, and then I saw a clip that they showed on Ellen and uh, there was something about it that made me go, okay, I don't know if I'm going to like Jen because her delivery of her lines for that scene, granted there's no context around the scene. I have no idea what happened before or what was happening, you know, in the story, but I didn't like it. 
I w- it made me feel awkward and weird and I was and it made me feel bad. So I think that has made me go okay, just be cautious like maybe it was a maybe it was just a, a like that a one scene thing and you need the context around that scene in order for it to make sense or whatever but that was the one thing that I was like uh oh <laughs> <laughs> well we'll see um yeah we we'll have screenings coming up next week and uh we'll be able to see pretty quick if if we like this movie but i think it's a good sign that you liked catalyst because catalyst you know involves a lot of the same themes i think and some of the same characters so the fact that you like that hopefully will um carry over into liking the movie as well okay so when are you gonna go see it so i'm seeing it opening night um and i will see the earliest showing possible which i think for me friday or thursday that's thursday night well, see, because so here's the thing. Opening night for me, when you say that, like it's still the night of the day it comes out. The actually day it comes out. Okay. I'm seeing it the first day they release it into theaters, <clears throat> which is Thursday, um, the 15th. And I will be seeing, I think it's a 7.20 or 7.30 showing Eastern time, um, which is the earliest that they had in the area I was in, or that I will be in, which is Orlando, Florida. So, yeah, I'm, I have my tickets, reserve seating. Um, actually, right down in Disney Springs, the the theater there, the AMC. So I'm really looking forward to it. So you're not gonna go see it twice like you did with the Force Awakens when you were like, I'm going at seven and then at ten and or then something at 10, like yeah. that. No, I because I'm kind of on a family vacation. I that wasn't gonna fly. Um, so and I don't know. This one doesn't have the same. I don't have the same anticipation for it as I did for Force Awakens. So even if I had that option, I don't think I would do it. Now, I may have decided to see it like Thursday night and then go back again Friday night. But doing the back-to-back showings like I did last time, that was even much. As much as I loved the Force Awakens, that was that was a little much. So are you going Friday night too? No. I'm just oh. saying if I had that option, I probably would. But because I'll be on vacation, I don't necessarily have that option. Uh, gotcha. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, I'm going... To the Alamo Drafthouse, the infamous movie theater chain down here that is amazing. And it's better than your whatever movie, movie tavern, tavern thing uh, that I've you been, have. I've been to your Alamo Drafthouse, so that's uh, that's up for debate. Well, I don't remember which one you went to, but that's all. And it all depends on what you're going for, too, by the way. Um, <laughs> but Alamo Drafthouse, and we're going to a 9.15 showing on Thursday night. And kind of interesting, I made the mistake of telling one of my managers at one of those the part-time jobs I have that I could actually work that night. So I actually had to call her today and say, uh, I forgot that Star Wars is coming out. We already have tickets. And I had to arrange a way for me to leave early. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So I am still going to make it to the movie, but I basically scheduled work on top of Rogue One. As you can tell, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I'm, I'm hoping. I don't know. Fingers crossed. I think I you're hope gonna I love come it. Out of I there. can't wait to I hear ho- your reaction. I think you're really gonna like it. Yeah, I hope I come out of there and I'm like, ah, it's rising! Oh my god! Yeah, make That's sure you text, text or call me right after if you really like it. I need, I need to feel good about you liking this movie. Okay. <laughs> but uh, so we are gonna review Catalyst today. But before we do, I just wanted to mention the book club um, this month. We are doing Catalyst in the book club as well. So for anyone that has read it or is in the middle of reading it, 
jump on over to our book club over at Goodreads and join in on the conversation. We have a, a handful of people already talking about it. So, and we're just going to get right into the review, I think. We have nothing um, else really no, to talk wait, about. One thing do quick, I do have to ask you a question. Okay. Uh, so, as we record this, the mid-season finale of Star Wars Rebels has aired. And since we're not going to get to talk to you on Rebel Yell about it, I am kind of curious what you think about Green-Eyed Kanan. Green-Eyed Kanan? <laughs> um, wow. So, can we? do we want to throw out a big spoiler warning here? Because this is like the episode literally just came out today. Yeah, but people aren't going to hear this until Monday. So by then they should have watched it. True, so true. we're going to talk but about Rebels for a second and gonna... uh, just uh, spoilers. You know, spoilers. Make sure you go and watch the episode if you haven't. And if you haven't, why haven't you? Because Maul's back. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we saw that in the preview, so that's not a spoiler. But I don't know. What do you mean what I think about? It? I mean, he was kind of possessed by a night sister. Is where you are you wondering what I thought about him having like the the voice of a night sister for a little bit. Yeah. Okay. It was kind of funny. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting. The voices that they picked for that or the people that voiced them. And I'm forgetting who did who, but the two, uh, night sister voices, one was Meredith Salinger and the other one was Anna Graves, which Anna Graves yeah. is the voice of, um, Leia. Satine, right? Leia? No, Satine, right? Wait, who is she? Anna Graves plays, I think she did Satine, hmm. which I'm pretty sure. Like uh, we could probably Google that real quick just to make sure I'm not wrong, because otherwise it kind of ruins my point here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. I'm pulling up her IMDb as we speak. Uh, Anna Grace. Yes, Anna Duchess Satine okay. is in her IMDb. Okay, so okay. good. So she did voice her. Okay, so she is one of the voices of. Of one of the night sisters in this episode and she is also the character who was murdered by darth maul and there's a picture of her in darth maul's little like cave thing so i thought that, that was kind of a cool, cool connection um but yeah the whole night sister uh thing where they're possessing kanan and uh sabine that whole thing i thought it was really cool yeah i thought that was pretty neat uh i liked green-eyed sabine i was like she should always have creepy green eyes and she like crawled uh, down that rock like a spider. That was point. hilarious. Was like, oh, that was so good. Yeah. So. Uh, but overall, the the whole entire episode was really good, and I made a comment on a Facebook group that I really do think that Star Wars Rebels is at its best when it's exploring the deeper themes of Star Wars and not just the superficial stuff that they tend to do with it, and it's just so much better. When yeah, they... definitely. And now with, you know, we're talking big spoilers now at this point, and I might not even say, but kind of what they revealed at the end and kind of what they're looking for now, that's that's so tied into the main mythology of Star Wars that it's, I like it, like you said, when they deal with themes that are part of the bigger story mm-hmm. and connect directly it to it. It ends where it all begins. I'm just going to say it, a planet with two suns because Obi-Wan's back. What? I can't wait. I cannot wait because he's going to come back, which means that um, James, Arnold, James Arnold Taylor will be back, and it's going to be like insane. Yeah. They're definitely yeah. leading up to a return of Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, which I didn't think the show would go there. So I'm really impressed with where they're going with the story, and our group of rebels are such a big part now of kind of the, the big Star Wars narrative, and they're really kind of right in the middle. They're not on the fringes of Star Wars anymore. 
Especially that, since the ghost is in Rogue One, apparently. That would be cool if that, yeah. Well, I mean, I know that it showed up in the clip, um, but what that means or if, if that's just like a blink-and-you-miss-it kind of scene in the movie, uh, we'll see. But I'm hoping for some kind of walk-by cameo. That'd be awesome. A walk-by cameo by who? Any any character from Rebels. Literally any character. Like Chopper, you know, rolls by on the Yavin base. Maybe they say, you know... You know, whatever Captain Hera, Sandula, blah blah blah, like something, some mention of a character or, or somebody walking by in the background. <clears throat> I don't, I definitely don't expect a character appears in the movie with a speaking role, but to have just one of them referenced or walk by would be would be an awesome shout out to to people that are watching Rebels. Mm-hmm. So, so that was our uh, Rebels review. <laughs> I don't think we've short. done one of those on Bookworms before. No. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus content. So yes, uh, catalyst. Do you want, are we good now? Did you have any other, anything else you want to talk about? We are good now. Okay, so I'm gonna run through the stats here, and you can do the uh, the summary because I know you like doing them. Or okay. do you want me to do it today? Because I know you're kind of having uh, like throat issues. Well, now it's become a challenge. So okay, <laughs> I can do it. I don't mind doing it. Mm, Just no. let me know. All right. So catalyst, a Rogue One story, is the title author. James Lucino, who which I have now decided is my favorite Star Wars author, um, looking back at the the other novels of his that I love. Uh, release date was November 15th, so we're not quite a, a month out. I know our spoiler policy is like a month out. We're not quite there yet, um, but we're going to kind of cheat on our spoiler policy today. So if, if you're listening to this episode review of Catalyst, we are going to be talking spoilers. Um, and the publisher is Del Rey, and are you good on doing the summary? I'm getting prepped over here. Okay. okay. Well, you should do that first part. That's technically that's technically part of the stats. That. Okay. The intro of the intro. The intro of the intro. Lauded Star Wars author James Lucino returns to pen an intense tale of ambition and betrayal that sets the stage for Rogue One, a Star Wars story. War is tearing the galaxy apart. For years, the Republic and the Separatists have battled across the stars, each building more and more deadly technology in in an attempt to win the war. As a member of Chancellor Palpatine's top-secret Death Star project, Orson Krennic is determined to develop a superweapon before their enemies can, and an old friend of Krennic's, the brilliant scientist Galen Erso, could be the key. Galen's energy-focused research has captured the attention of both Krennic and his foes, making the scientist a crucial pawn in the galactic conflict. But after Krennic rescues Galen and his wife Lyra and their young daughter Jen from separatist kidnappers, the Urso family is deeply in Krennic's debt. Krennic then offers Galen an extraordinary opportunity to continue his scientific studies with every resource put utterly at his disposal. While Galen and Lyra believe that his energy research will will be used purely in an altruistic ways, Krennic has other plans that will finally make the Death Star a reality. Trapped in their benefactor's tightening grasp, the Ursos must untangle Krennic's web of deception and save themselves and the galaxy itself. Nice. Sounds like a really good book. (laughs) Yay. It sounds like a great book. (laughs) So you did the audiobook, or at least part of the audiobook, right? Mm -hmm. I kind of did both. I actually pull the whole listen to the audiobook and read at the same time. Funny thing I found out, I read faster than people read on an audiobook. Yes, this is true. Yeah, that's 
if you if you decide to go audio the audiobook route for just about any novel, you're probably going to spend more time listening than you would have just reading it. I don't know, but in this one for sure. So what was the audiobook experience like? I personally have kind of sworn off audiobooks for a while because I feel like the last couple audiobooks that I did for Star Wars books kind of hurt my experience for those books. What? Okay, maybe Ahsoka, but what? which other one? Um, What was the uh, Bloodline was another one that I wasn't a huge fan of the audio. So. Oh, well, this one's fantastic. And, uh, yeah, and I know like Twilight Company was fantastic. So I know there are really, really good audiobooks, and sometimes it enhances the experience. But it's it's to this at this point for me, it, it feels like rolling the dice when I decide to go with the audiobook. And I didn't want to waste an audible credit because I'm still trying to get through the Harry Potter books. So I decided to just go straight up read this one, which I think probably worked out better for me. But it sounds like you liked it. so. No, the audiobook for this one was really good. It's Jonathan Davis that's doing the narration. And his voices were great for these characters. I think it's going to be interesting watching the movie and hearing Galen as Mads Mikkelsen versus... Galen Jonathan Davis Galen that's gonna be really weird but uh, do you think he doesn't sound like Mads Mikkelsen he doesn't he does he doesn't he doesn't he has a little bit of the same kind of accent but he they don't they're not the same no uh I was listening to Mads's voice on the when we were watching the um the uh red carpet thingy and I'm like oh okay uh so I really liked it though. They they used music at the right times. They used sound effects at the right times. The voices were great. Uh, I liked his Tarkin. His Tarkin was really good, um, and I really liked Galen and Krennic also. So I think it's worth it. It's worth an audible credit if you ask me, especially if you're like me and you're not at home a lot in a place where you can just listen to a book or like sorry pick up a book and actually read it. So I'm always kind of in my car or not at home or something and I can just put in my headphones and listen to a book especially right now I've been Christmas shopping and doing stuff so I have the book in my ear as I'm walking around doing other stuff so nice yeah it's definitely it's definitely a great way to take in a book if you have like a long commute which I do um so but I like I said it kind of has to compete with my Harry Potter listening time right now so I found found for this one it it worked better just reading it, um, you know, a couple <clears throat> hours here and there until I finished it. But um, I don't know. I'm not the type to, once I've read the book, it's very unlikely I'll go back and do the audiobook. So this one mm. I, might be one I don't end up catching. But you're not even, you're not really a rereader either. I'm not. I'm not because there's so many new stories for me to take in that I'm not much for going back and, and uh, retaking in a story that I've already read uh, movies I will because it's not a big commitment you know it's just a couple hours but books are, are much more of a commitment yeah I'm a rereader yeah I think you knew that yeah I, I wish you remember, I was do you remember how often I read the Harry Potter books uh, didn't you say once a year I read the all yeah once a year once a year yes so um, now the audiobooks for Harry Potter and we're getting off track again here on Harry Potter <laughs> stuff I'm sure <laughs> like, our listeners I'm are turning like, this uh, into Harry Potter Harry trying Potter to get into Harry Potter They're very so well done that I, I could see myself going back and redoing the audiobooks of, of Harry Potter. Um, but those kind of stand alone. I feel like those are those are just really, really well done, more so than most audiobooks I've heard. Jim Dale, I think, is the guy that does them. 
Uh, the U.S. version is Den- Jen- Blah, Jim Dale, yes. Yes, so. Um, but, okay, so StarWars.com released an article back uh, in November, November 11th, and it was titled Six Reasons Catalyst is Essential Reading if You Plan to See Rogue One. And I've heard this is kind of the way that uh, Del Rey is even kind of pitching this book. Like, this is essential reading. You have to read this before you see the movie. Um, so I thought it would be interesting to kind of roll through these six reasons now that we both have read the book and see, um, you know, kind of some of our thoughts on these reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. And you know what? This is actually why this is my, one of my dad's Christmas presents. He's not going to get it before the movie comes out, but I got him Catalyst because I want him to like actually like read this because I think it would benefit him a lot. My dad is one of the reasons that I read so much because he's a big reader too. So, okay. Yeah. So do you think he'll wait and see the movie until after he's read the book? No. No. Okay. I didn't know. If he, he doesn't was a know big... he's getting. He doesn't know he's getting the book. He doesn't even know that the book exists at the moment. Okay. So. All right. Yeah. So, reason number one um, here it says the origins of the Death Star and its weapons program. Um, I would say that's a legit reason to read this book. It definitely is covered in very much detail in this in Catalyst. Yes. Agree? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I just um. thought you were going to run through them. <laughs> no, I thought we could both give thoughts if, if they come up. But um, I think it's, well, okay, I'll add on. I think it's really cool that we get sort of a connection between the Death Star and the Geonosin um, bugs and that they have a part to play in it. And I w- thought that was really crazy. And they, they were talking about Poggle the Lesser and, like, all these characters. And I was like, prequels in your face. What? <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I'll talk. James Lucino is a master of tying things in to to all of his novels. That's one thing I've always loved about him. Some people don't like that about him because he gets too, you know, he references things too much. Uh, but me, the type of fan I am, I actually really like that. And I, I actually kind of have a list of things that he, either Easter eggs or things he mentioned um, that we can kind of hit later. But the, the Geonosin thing was a great tie-in um and very not even kind of a it definitely wasn't an easter egg because it was part of the story but i like how you're seeing um the connections even with rebels remember that episode of rebels when they saw geonosis and they were like oh that the planet looks like it's been destroyed do you remember Mm -hmm. that um i think that was the episode where zeb and agent callus become friends they have this whole thing where Geonosis is seen and the planet oh, the is, bromant, the has, been, has been kind of uh, destroyed. And so I thought that was interesting because of what we know is going on on Geonosis and the involvement in the Death Star project. Um, and I also like the tie-in to just um, <sighs> episode two in uh, Attack of the Clones where they have the scene where the plans for the Death Star are with Geonosis or on Geonosis with Pago the Lesser. And kind of the the whole tie in there, so yeah, now it kind of makes sense. Yeah, and if the whole book really is just this, just this treasure trove of information, and I really felt like that was what this book was more than anything else. Was just if you want to know what, like, how the Death Star became the Death Star, like that's what this book is all about. You know, it's about that the the programs that led to it. And to find out that the Death Star actually was had begun as a project in the Republic, and it wasn't something that necessarily started with the Separatists, that was that was kind of interesting. 
But that's not necessarily true, though. It Everything is a mind game because ultimately Palpatine is in control of all of this. He's yes. in control of the Separatists and he's in control of the Republic. So it's not really that it started in either place. It started with Palpatine and it was something he wanted done. And so he planted it you know, with Dooku and the Separatists to make it look like it was a Separatist thing so that the Republic would want to build something that could combat it. And so they went after it to build it, you know, and it's like this whole just, it's so, it's, I don't want to say dumb, but it's dumb because every single person is getting played. Every single person. And it's just like, Palpatine is such a great mastermind that he made everybody think like that they had something to do with it when really they didn't. They had nothing to do with it. <laughs> well, they had everything to do with it. He was just the one that was pulling the strings. That's what I mean, though. Like, yeah. they, none of these people are in control of their own destiny. Like, poor Orson Krennic. Like, I actually feel kind of sad for him. <laughs> He's like, oh, I'm doing all this amazing stuff. No, you aren't. You're a pawn. <laughs> pawn. Yeah, definitely. Um, the Emperor is the one that obviously kind of kicked off the whole Death Star thing. But just the fact, I think the, the movies were... When you're talking about episode two, episode three, you're kind of led to believe that the 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 construction of the Death Star started as a separatist project and then kind of was adopted by the Empire when the Empire um, became what it is. But it, but to find out that there was actually like you know two different projects going on at once and the and the Republic you know had this big project going on that eventually became the Death Star. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, information, although I think maybe different than Lucas had imagined it. I like how they kind of spun it all. Well, here's the thing, though. It's I think it's funny. Like the Separatists, the Empire, the Republic, whatever. They're all the same dang thing. I know. I get that. <laughs> I just and it's just like to, to me, it's just it's like to us as I don't know. fans. You're right because we know everything that's going on. But the galaxy at large, I'm I'm kind of talking in universe perspective here. You know, that's where. I think it's interesting that there was actually a project, a Republic-run project that was creating a Death Star, um, which obviously became the Empire. But yeah, I get the idea that you know it all is pretty much the same thing. But from an in-universe perspective, it's it's a very interesting revelation. Right, but I like that. I like the fact that like knowing everything, like we know that they're all the same thing and it's to me that's the interesting part like thinking about it out of universe about how all of these people all got played like <laughs> i love that oh poor people so you're talking about krennic and kind of how you felt a little bad for him so point number two here in this article is the reason that this is required reading is the foundation of the relationship between urso and krennic um, <clears throat> i think that's super important Yes. I think it's important going back to in the book when they're talking about them being a part of like the engineering like futures program and all this stuff because in everything we've seen so far just from trailers, Krennic is just this, you know, like real serious guy in an awesome white outfit with a cape, you know, but like he supposedly is actually really quite smart, but what we see is that he's really smart with like manipulation. Um he knows how to he knows how to work a person and make them think that they're his friend or something, you know? Yeah, he's all about like I've worked with people like this guy. 
you know, he's all about the manipulation of people saying the right thing to somebody to get them to do what you want them to do. But it's, there's no sincerity behind it. And it's sad for, for Galen because to Galen, there was a friendship there, but Krennic Mm -hmm. from Krennic's perspective, um, when you're getting into his brain in the book, there's really not a friendship there. You know, he may have, he almost feels like an ownership of Galen, but not a friendship. He's just using him, which is really Mm -hmm. sad. Yeah, it is. And I can't wait to see these characters in the movie to see how all of this stuff actually plays out. Because I feel like that's... I feel like Catalyst is very much just like a pre-story because we're missing pieces here. You know, and we're going to say all this stuff about our review of the book and then we're going to see the movie and we're going to be like, whoa! We were so wrong. We were so so off. (laughs) But that's why I think it's fun to do this review before the movie, because then we can we can still speculate. If we had already seen the movie, we would kind of be like ruined. It would almost ruin this a little bit. Mm-hmm. But Lucino had an interesting quote about Krennic that I wanted to read here. Uh, he says, Krennic was really interesting to write because I'm not writing about a Sith or a fallen Jedi. He's not as calculating as Tarkin, and he doesn't bring an alien sensibility to the game like Thrawn. Which... Hmm. Interesting quote about Krennic, but why did he bring up Thrawn? That's really interesting to me that that Lucinu, who has not written for Thrawn before, is talking about writing for Thrawn. Don't know. Did he slip up there and maybe he's writing another book that has Thrawn in it? No. <laughs> I just I just thought <laughs> nice it was nice try. That was a really nice angle, though. I like how you're trying to. Hey, you never know because he every other thing he's talking about here, Krennic, Sith, Fallen Jedi, Tarkin. He's written about all of that. He's never written about Thrawn. Well, maybe he's helped. Well, he's. I mean, the only person that's ever written a novel about Thrawn is Zahn, and he doesn't write for Rebels. So maybe he's involved in a project that Thrawn is there. I don't know. So yeah, you're right. I'm just reading into it, but. I figure I'd bring it up that way if it ends up being announced that he's writing a, a novel with Thrawn in it, I can come back and be like, see? Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> but, no, I thought that was an interesting you know, perspective. Well, where's that quote from? It's from uh, an interview they did with him on StarWars.com. Oh, okay. So uh, James Floyd actually did that interview, who uh, has been a guest on our show before. So, yeah. All so right. I, that was a, I want this one. Yeah, go ahead. So the third one is Jin's dad and mom. So they really do highlight the relationship between Galen and Lyra and their relationship with Jin, who they call Stardust in the book, which I think is just amazing. Makes her sound like a Rainbow Bright character, and I kind of <laughs> love that. But, like, I don't know. That was that was probably one of the coolest parts about it, was getting to see her with her parents and getting to see them working as a team together and you see like an actual amazingly awesome functional relationship that's healthy in the Star Wars universe. Was it? I did not see the relationship as healthy at all. How is it not healthy? They were separated the most of the time. He was caught up in his work, which caused issues in their marriage. They barely talked. But they, for the majority of the book, they did work as a team. It wasn't until they, it's probably maybe about, okay, like from halfway through the book. Yeah, they, they definitely, there was definitely um, a good connection between the characters where you could tell they really loved each other. Uh, they weren't in like a dead marriage or anything like that. They they were having problems because of things that were going on and the stress with his research and all that. But yeah, they had a strong bond. And that is 
proven in the end with what happens in the end where they kind of end up on the same page and realize they're being used and run away together, you know, to kind of get away from the empire. So yeah, I, from that perspective, yeah, I completely see what you mean. I mean, I would overall say that it's still a healthy relationship. We don't see many healthy relationships in Star Wars because every relationship has goes through ups and downs, you know. But that doesn't necessarily make that make it unhealthy. There are parts of it that were unhealthy, you know, just because of the work aspect of it and the stress and the morals and ideals of these two characters are very two very strong people. She's a very strong, independent person, and uh, of course, they've got their young daughter too consider but i overall i would say like this was the first time we see a mom dad child relationship that is really awesome yeah and there's going to be a pretty big time jump between the end of this novel which leaves us they never really established exactly kind of how old Jin is at, at this point but i'm thinking she's still pretty young like three or younger she's she's um they talk about it. I think at the end she's about three or four. Okay. So we know in the, you know, obviously in Rogue One, she's a young adult, I'm guessing, in her early 20s. So there's going to be a pretty big time jump between what See, happens. Well, they talk about it that she hasn't seen him in 15 years. So depending on when he gets taken away, I'm going to say that she's probably 18 or 19. Oh, wow. Oh, Maybe that's, 20. That's younger than I would have guessed, but... <clears throat> So, okay, so, yeah, we get a big time jump. We know at the end of the novel, um, we're you know, as we're kind of going through these points, I just kind of bring in other things that happen in the novel, but we know family-wise that they all are together when the novel ends. There's no mm-hmm. death, but, you know, the mom doesn't die. You know, they don't get separated. They all go away together to kind of hide away on a planet. So what happens, you know, between now and then? Um, that's going to be fun to, to kind of figure out. Mm-hmm. And I guess that leaves some space for maybe another novel in there if, if this one's a resounding success uh, that they could use a novel to fill in some of that time as well. But um, we know Galen is in the, in the tra- trailers. We know we don't know when we're seeing him though, and we don't see him and her together in the trailers. So it'll well, it'll be interesting to see. So uh, number four, Jin Erso's birth in early years. I, we kind of covered that a little bit, but uh, definitely is in the novel. And interesting that she was kind of born while they were in a prison, in a way. <clears throat> well, she wasn't technically. I mean, her mom was being held against her will in a place, but she wasn't in prison. Her mom was not in prison. Um, Galen right. was in prison. Yeah. But Lyra was not in prison, but... Yes, Jin is a Volte citizen. Ah, yes. Her birth certificate says Volt. <laughs> Do they have those in Star Wars? Probably. Um, yeah, so we did get to see the character. Now, we didn't get a lot of Jin in the novel. You know, we get her a little... The, the, the main novel, the main focus of the novel really was Krennic and Galen. And some Lyra, but not as much as the other two characters. But that was kind of your focus characters. Uh, Jin was just she was just too young to really be involved, but um, we did see some, and we did we did see her speak a little bit at the very end. Yes, that was pretty cool. Yes, uh, number five, Grand Moff Tarkin, very much. Uh, Governor Tarkin. <laughs> yeah, he does prefer. Does he prefer he prefers, governor? Yes, he says okay. that. He does say that. Um, I mean, he's not a Grand Moff. 
He is not at in the point. novel. You're right. He is not. What is a grand moff? Does that mean that you like are in charge of moffs, or you are like the biggest moff? The grand of the moffs. What is it? What is a moff? A moff is that is like just a... if that's like a flying bug that they just change the name from <laughs> moth to moff? They're pronouncing it wrong. Yeah. The grand moff. Um, it's just a title for <laughs> I forget the exact details, but it's uh, an imperial title for somebody that's over a certain region of space, I think, something like that. And he so. He's a moth of like a certain area. I don't know. I don't remember. I think if well, you he read, is, is he the biggest moth of all we, the moths? <laughs> it's he is like the you have managers and senior managers. He's you know you have moths and grand moths or admirals and grand admirals. You know, so he's just he's the next level up. He has more but people. But is reporting a grand admiral the same thing as a grand moth? No, they're not. So I think if we if we reread Tarkin, it might explain this stuff. Maybe. Mm, but then we'd have to start with how he decides to get dressed and have his pants cut and everything all over again. <laughs> well, same author. So we did get some uh, some references to some of the things that were established in Tarkin, like the name of his ship and that kind of stuff. Uh, the Carrion Spike, I think it's called. <clears throat> I think so. the next time I see James Lucino, I'm be like, what is a moth? Is that a bug? I'm sure he could explain it to you in detail. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then oh, no- I want this. I want this. I want this. Go ahead. Number six. How does Saw Gerrera know Jen anyway? That's how it reads on the paper. <laughs> I read never, the book to find out. In the novel or in the trailers, I never got the impression that he knew her. I just thought he showed up one day and was like, hey, you know, I used to be a rebellion guy. <laughs> Join my fight. That's basically, you know? I mean, the book basically says that exact same thing. I mean, Does it's it? not like he really knows her. He just talked to her once. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he was he was a key part of their escape, which I think was was pretty interesting. So Saul Guerrero, a much younger Saul Guerrero, uh, did meet Jin, but he met her as a child. Uh, but they did they did talk back and forth. They held hands at the end, you know, as he's walking out of the thing. So there there is a, a connection there, which I think is is pretty cool. Um, I'm wondering like what role Saul is going to play in the movie and how important of a role, but, uh, he was definitely a big, I, w- I would call it in a, a little bit of a cameo more than anything else in the novel. Cause he only showed up in like three scenes and they were very brief. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's the six reasons I'd say there's, those are all pretty legit reasons. Would you say that this book is, <clears throat> is required reading? I mean, I guess we don't know until we see the movie. I couldn't answer that question yet. Yeah. But I, I think if somebody asked me, hey, do you think I should read this novel before I go I would watch say Rogue yes. One? I would say if you have the time, do it. But it's it's a lot of just um, information, a lot of background information. and Interesting, very interesting information. But don't go in expecting like it to be this big, like action-packed, story-driven novel. Um, it's kind of just helping us get to know these characters. Um, mm-hmm. That set up Rogue One. There's something interesting about this book, Aaron. I don't know if you saw it. Because I think it's weird. And the copies we have are not advanced reader copies. So t- sometimes you'd see this stuff in ARCs or in ARCs. But then one of the last pages talks about the font type that they used for the book. Huh. I've seen and that like, before in novels. I think it's funny because it's set in Minion. <laughs> Minion? Why is that funny? 
Because <laughs> of the minions. Because of minions. <laughs> I I don't think I would even Pinata. go in there. <laughs> I didn't notice that at the end, probably because I did the digital version, which probably didn't use the same font type. So maybe that's oh, why I didn't see yeah. that. It's <laughs> funny though. But yeah, I didn't. It's just I think it's weird. I don't. You don't see that that often in books. This book was set in Minion. A 1990 Adobe Originals typeface. <laughs> it's like, thank you. <laughs> like, it's for that. <laughs> why is why? It's a, I, I'd say a handful of these Star Wars novels have had that. But what is the purpose? I don't know. I guess for like the people that are big into typography, you know, those kind of fans, those kind of nerds. Well, you know what I do like, though, about this book? We're just talking about it. I like how on the pages for the chapters, when it goes to the next chapter, the opposite facing page has like blueprint print. Yeah. Which is really neat. I really like that. I was like, cool details, man. I also like how they are doing the books where there's like parts. So there's like part one, part two, part three. And to separate the parts, it's like black pages with like just stars on them. You know? It's kind of cool. Yeah, it is cool. So the one character we did not talk about who was a big part of this novel that wasn't in that rundown was the smuggler Has Obit or Has Obit. Has Has how Obit. They, how did they has pronounce I. it in the the or in Haas. the uh, audio? Haas. Haas. Oh, so why didn't they give him another A? H A A S would have made it a lot well, more sense. Well, that's what I thought it was going to be and then it, when I opened the book and actually read his name, I was like, "Oh, that's Has." <laughs> Yeah, because as I'm reading the book, it the first time they introduced the character, I was like, oh, "That's a, an odd name," you know, because the word "has" is used, you know, a lot in novels as a regular word and not as a name. <clears throat> so when you're reading it, it can be kind of confusing. And I thought, you know what, this is just me being a baby, like no big deal. But then as I got further into the book, it started to get kind of frustrating. There was a there was literally a sentence that started "has had had," <laughs> <laughs> and so I I you know tweeted about it because that's you know sometimes you do and i was surprised by the response like of people that agreed with me were like yes that is very frustrating even kyle newman responded to it which i thought was funny um but all these people were responding like with the same frustration so i guess maybe it was more than just me that was bothered by it yeah i mean since i did mostly audiobook it's kind of interesting because you don't you don't catch that kind of stuff but i that would be that line has had had i'd be like uh <laughs> <laughs> but i mean weird name aside character wise interesting um i think he was a drusillian i'm probably saying that wrong uh but i don't know if you know the species but they look like almost like a prune face kind of species a prune face <laughs> um not the not the best looking of the star wars species out there so I don't know how you were kind of imagining them in your head as the book was going on, but uh, there is a, sp- a very specific species that has been in the... I think he shows up in the background of the original trilogy, or at least his species does. Um, how were you visualizing him? Or did you know the species? Uh, I didn't I didn't know the species, so I don't have a visual. Okay. Um, so <clears throat> he was a, a pretty interesting character. He kind of plays a, a big role... Um, not a main focus character, but he does play a big role in helping Lysa like kind of realize what's going on, and also to helping 
the the entire family escape the empire. So I he plays such a big role that I'm kind of wondering, oh, is he going to be in Rogue One, or is this just a character that um, you know Lucino came up with, which I think is probably more the case. But he he does play a pretty important role. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I got. I wanted to look at your tweet, and oh. there's a real funny one from Eric Schernerweis from Del Rey. And he says, "Now we need a book starring Haas and Elodie from Life Dead." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Star Wars names. All right, first person to name their kid Haas, but ha- spell it has. <laughs> yeah. Get win something. Has Obit. Yeah. Has. His name is Haas. Haas Obit. Um, so I had wanted to look up. Um, the reason I didn't know what he looked like is because I gave up looking up species. Because when this book first started, I wanted to know what a Valti looked like. And so I went online looking for what a Valti looked like. And there's no pictures. So I just decided that none of the species in this book that I'd never heard of before would have pictures. So I didn't look them up any further. Although I really wanted to look up what a Lacori looks like. Do you know what a Lacori? I imagined it was a bug, like a like a Geonosian bug, but prettier. I'm kind of blanking on what that is. I'm not even remembering where they were in the book, so no. So Galen and Lyra go to their first job back when he's working for the the company that's doing like um hollow projector stuff or whatever it's on a planet called Lacori which is near Ryloth and uh, they like describe them but I don't know what they look like yeah they that's they, the they, problem they, with they described with them Star as Star Wars books they did describe them as bug like um which made me think of like the Killick species the the much loved Killick species from the Legends universe. Um, See, this is still this is my my only problem with reading Star Wars stuff is that unless you have an extensive knowledge of these people, you know, or these different species, and then unless you have you know put it all to memory and you have done like tons of research to remember all this stuff, they re- mention all kinds of species all the time, and you never know what the heck. You know, like, what is that? What is that? What is that? The only, like, you remember the ones that are common, like a Mon Cal, for example, or a Geonosin or one that you've seen in a movie, but like all the ones they mention in books or you see like one time in a comic and you're just like, okay, I don't even know. Can't. I find myself. And then you're expected to remember, like you're expected to remember what, like, I don't know, like say like Kit Fisto, like what he is and like. Um, he's a Nautilin. He's a what? <laughs> a Nautilin. <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> let's see. Let me name some more. I'm just saying because, like, I can't remember their species names. Um, Bosk, go. Trandoshan. Okay. Um, don't do this. <laughs> no, no. This is fun. Um, oh, man. I can't remember. Okay. Kiati Mundi. Uh, Serian. Okay. Uh, what's the one? Are we done? Plo no, we're not done. Plo Koon. Uh, Keldor, I think. Keldor, I think. Ahsoka. Tagruta. Ayla Sakura. Ayla Sakura. Twi'lek. Uh, so, so your point being that some people do, do research this <laughs> stuff and <laughs> are super nerdy about it. Um, 
I find myself, if they describe a species that I've never heard of and they start actually getting descriptive about it, I'd rather just know what that species looks like than try to figure out what they look like by the description. So I almost always just go to Wikipedia and, and search to see if yes, there's... Yes, but it doesn't work. Sometimes it, it doesn't, does. It doesn't always work anymore, Aaron. I know. There's the plenty, new books. You're right. There like are this plenty, one. I looked it up. I'm on Wikipedia right now, and it says Lacori species. The Lacori were a, st- a stock-like insectoid species native to the planet Lacori. No pictures. Nothing. Nothing. That's it. That's all it says. Yeah, I th- there are a lot of new species that are being introduced that have not don't have images for them yet, and you kind of just have to imagine. But there there are a lot that they use that are kind of background characters from the other movies, uh, like a Dresselian, which I don't think. What you- is that? I didn't know either until this I. This is my point. Until I How the- am I supposed to know? <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I think they need to do. One, we need Dramatis Personae back in the books because that is super helpful. That would be cool. Two, we need an index in the back with images of what these things are. Okay, thank you. That would be fun. <laughs> uh, the New Jedi Order books, I think at one time had a little little photo kind of things at the beginning of the books of, of the main characters. I do miss Dramatis dramati- Personae, though, but, a lot. Yeah, I do, too. I think that, that was very helpful, and I, I missed that feature as well. But... Yeah, this might be a good time to kind of bring up because we we're talking about being super nerdy and knowing different species and all that stuff. The kind of the Easter eggs and stuff that were dropped into this novel. Yeah, but. see, I'm I'm sure I missed all of this stuff. Um, I have just just discovered within the last few minutes, I am not as big of a Star Wars nerd as I thought I was. <laughs> you 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 are just in a different way. You don't care about the the same details that other people care about. No, I do care, but like, I cannot remember them. Like, I'm horrible with uh, Imperial officer names. Like, even from the original trilogy movies, I get them all mixed up. I'm oh, horrible well, with I mean, hello. They're all, like, just big white guys. <laughs> I, I don't get... remember all of them either. Like, like I don't know. But species names it has is one thing that I enjoy knowing, so that's that's a little... I just... I enjoy knowing it, but I enjoy knowing what they look like, and I just... Like, until I... I can associate it with an image. It's hard, and I don't always remember what they're called. Yeah. But, like, I love character names, you know? Like, here, I got all the characters for you. But <laughs> I can't honestly tell you. This is why I'm glad Yoda doesn't have a species that we know of, because I don't have to know it. No, that's one you don't. So, I probably didn't catch all of the Easter eggs. I, In fact, I know I didn't. You know, Lucino is, is known for just dropping the most obscure references from, you know, anything in Star Wars, be it Legends or canon. Um, and there were a couple things from Legends that were dropped into here, which I thought were was interesting. But, um, so I kind of wanted to run down a handful of ones that I did notice, and I'm sure I missed a ton. But, um, and I, I'll be curious to see if you, you caught any of these as well. But the mention of Lock Dirt and Nouveau Vindy, I thought was interesting. Do you remember Vindy from the... Uh, Blue Shadow Virus episodes of the Clone Wars? No. The crazy scientist guy? I've only watched the Clone Wars once through one time. So they were talking about the the prisoner swap and their different people they were were thinking about trying to use in the prisoner swap. And I guess... I don't remember any of that. At one point they had brought up... And I thought Lock Durd was interesting because he was... um, He was, I think, a Clone Wars only character as as well as Nouveau Vindy... Um, 
So that was a, a nice Clone Wars reference. They did reference the Citadel. Uh, yeah, I did Tarkin, catch that. I Tarkin that. was a prisoner there, so that was pretty cool. Um, big Legends thing is the the species, the Rin, which is spelled R-Y-N, mm-hmm. is a species. Those are that, weird. They were um, first introduced into Star Wars through the New Jedi Order novels, and it was a Lucino novel that introduced the species. But um, there were a couple of pretty major characters in the New Jedi Order character or in the New Jedi Order books that were of the Rin species, but that was a Legends-only thing. So the fact that they have now brought them into canon <coughs> and even the description of the species matches, I thought that was interesting that Lucino kind of pulled his own thing from Legends and brought it into canon. I wonder if more authors will start to do that. Well, he was probably told to or allowed to or something. Maybe, or maybe the editor just didn't catch it. Just thought it was a cool new species, not realizing it had been used before. But yeah, <laughs> um, they they mentioned Umbara, which was uh, yes, which was a cool reference, and the Crimora was another thing which uh, was from the Tarkin novel. I think was the first mention of this crime syndicate called the Crimora. Uh, they had mentioned them in Tarkin. They mentioned them in Life Debt as well as Aftermath. So I thought that was uh, they keep bringing up this this criminal syndicate. So I thought that was cool and. This was a big one for me that I was a big fan of. Remember the Clone Wars cartoons that they did before the Clone Wars that were just the, the like 2D cartoons? Yeah, I remember those. I mean, I, I have them. I don't ever watch them. I loved those when they first came out. And they had this big episode where the introduction of General Grievous, the first time he ever was introduced into Star Wars, was through that animated series or the first time you see him. Um and it, he had this big showdown with the Jedi on this planet called Hypori. And Hypori ends up being, in this novel, as a pretty major planet in one of the places that they had uh, one of their facilities. And he kind of mentions, um, let's see, how did, what does he say here? I'm going to read here. It says, The hulk of a crashed acclimator-class cruiser stood as a grim memorial to a pitched battle in which a group of Jedi knights had been taken by surprise. So the... The event where the Jedi Knights that are trapped on the planet Hypori in the animated series, it's in like a crashed ship. And that's where basically um, General Grievous shows up and slaughters them all, except for a couple that escape. So I thought that was a pretty pretty sly reference to that really old animated series that is no longer canon. I never would have seen. I, I know this is, this is just me nerding out at this point. Um, but obviously you got the mention of, uh, Champs and Dula, which is a nice reference and that's pretty much it. But yeah, I, th- I just thought that was, uh, some nice little Easter eggs that you can always count on that kind of stuff from Lucina. You're such a cute little nerd. <laughs> half of our audience is like, yeah, yeah, I noticed that too. The other half is like, what the heck is he talking about? <laughs> the other half is, is like me right now and going, Mm-hmm. Your people, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so I thought that was pretty cool. But did you have anything else like that you wanted to mention before? Well, we I think up? you know, I don't know. I I really like the story. I really like the characters. This is, I will say, it moved my excitement for Rogue One up from like a two or a three to a four. So that's good. Wow. Because now I'm interested in you know what's happening with these characters to an extent 
I really liked all of the kyber crystals talk stuff. I oh, also yeah, got yeah. really mad because they got this giant kyber crystal and, you know, they were like, you know, like, oh, I wonder if it can do this or that. And they were like, this must have been the Jedi's and they had taken it from somebody. And they, you know, and Lyra Urso is the only one that was like, could it possibly be that they were protecting us from, you know, what could happen with this thing? And it's like, hello, dum dum heads, <laughs> probably. And then also, and there's that same bit where they finally convince Galen to work with them. He shows them kyber crystals, and she's the only one that's like, Galen, these are from Jedi's lightsabers. And it, like, doesn't even phase him. Yeah. And I'm like, you realize that people died right. so that you could have those those crystals right there. Like, they don't belong to you. I, I, oh, I got so mad. I was like, not yours! Not yours! And then I wanted to know, well, like, what color are they? Or, like, what do they look like? And whose are they? I'm about to be real pissed if one of them's Ayla Securis. Because she was just like, ugh, that um, still makes me mad. Yeah, that I we had Revenge completed. of the Sith still makes me mad. Aaron. <laughs> they <laughs> me too. were they me too. they're such chickens. Her back was turned. Like to- I just remember watching that, and I was like, and I'm sorry for any kids that are listening, but I was like, bitches. For me, it was Coyote Mundy. Who, oh God, that one too. Where he turned, like he actually saw it coming more. Like most of the other ones, that kind of got it in the back. But the fact that he actually had a chance to turn and fight back, like, and you can just kind of see it on his face, the shock. And that was a character that I was a huge fan of through reading comics and things about him. And uh, that was, I think that's when uh, I started to tear up in that scene in the theater was when he fell. But yeah, I'm still mad about it too. I'm it's still pretty, mad. Pretty rough. And like, who's, uh, but the fact that like they, they, these scientists, researchers had no they had no, I don't know, like respect for what they were working with almost. Like that really bugged me like a lot. Yeah, and it's not like a lot of time has passed. It's not like the Jedi were all killed off like 100 years ago. I mean, we're talking about just... Like days. <laughs> yeah, like maybe not days, but yeah, they, they're using this stuff in research, you know, from people that died pretty recently. So yeah, you're right. That was... I think it's really cool and interesting how the kyber crystals have become such a central focus on a lot of different elements of Star Wars right now. Mm-hmm. Whereas the idea of a kyber crystal wasn't even a thing, um, you know, until recently with the new canon, where they kind of adopted the idea that a kyber crystal is what powers a, a Jedi's lightsaber. That was never the case in kind of the old legend stuff. So this is it's kind of a newer concept, but they're really going all in with it and the fact that that's what's powering the death star that's what powers the jedi's lightsaber um it's it's very interesting mm-hmm. well i also like how lyra Urso, like really even though she wasn't force sensitive she she valued the force like that was something that she cared about and she was really nervous about the force dying she made a there was a line at some point in the movie, you know, about, like, I wonder if what happens when the Force is gone, you know, and, like, or something along those lines. And, like, she actually really cared about it, you know. And I don't I don't know. I think it's, it's so interesting to see, like, people who have that ability to connect with things that they can't see or feel versus people who can't. Yeah. She was a really uh, good character. She plays... 
a role for Galen that, you know, he, he is this kind of, he's not like a crazy scientist, but he's definitely like that genius type that's a little disconnected. Mm-hmm. And she was what really grounded him. And I I really liked her character a lot. She was very much his opposite, but a very strong character. Um, and I don't feel, I don't have a good feeling for what's going to happen to her. I, I don't know why, it, like I'm just kind of assuming that she's going to die either before Rogue One or, or kind of at the beginning of it. Be, maybe just because the focus on a lot of the marketing doesn't really focus on her or mention her, but. Well, I think she was a late add in part of the reshoot process. Okay. So that's probably why. But also, uh, just, I don't know if you've really thought about it, but you do realize that most of our characters in Rogue One are probably going to die. I don't know. Everybody keeps saying that. I'm like, why? Why do, why do we assume that? They're, the rebellion they're is alive and well. Well, so what? There, There's so many. The rebellion is a large entity that has probably thousands if not you know tens to hundreds of thousands of people involved just because this one group isn't doesn't show up on screen doesn't mean they're all dead i feel the same way about the cast of of rebels no see me i'm like yep dead no i think we will i think there will be deaths i do think that there will be some characters that die in both rebels and in rogue one but i think uh many of them will survive and be part of the rebellion Definitely. It's just easier if I just think about the fact that they're all just going to die. Because then when they don't die, it's like, miracle! Nah, it, it wouldn't be as impactful if they just kind of all died at the end. I think there will be one or two characters that heroically die. And you kind of have those tearjerker moments. But I don't think we're going to get a full-on, like, the entire group dies on a planet that gets blown up by the Death Star. See, I think you wanna, it's the difference between an optimist and a pessimist. <laughs> You're not a pessimist. Well, That's the optimist they, of me they, speaking about you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, uh, you're all gonna die. <laughs> but we'll see. We we don't have too much. I am to wait. really starting to get excited for Cassie and Andor, mainly because I've watched Diego Luna like on all of his press junket things at all all the things he's been to, and every single time he's like a Mexican in Star Wars. What is that? You know, and I'm just like, you're so cute. <laughs> he's super nice. He seems to be very excited about being a part of it, and. Pretty much the whole cast is is like that, so that's and that's always a good sign for a movie when the cast is excited about it. Uh, so I don't know. I think this one might surprise you. I, I really hope that it, hope you like it a lot. I mean, I hope I like it a lot too. But <laughs> let's just say we all hope we like it. <laughs> but I'm sure we will probably the next time we talk or the next time we do bookworms, uh, we'll have already had seen the movie and maybe do. I'm sure we'll do some sort of a review, even though it's not a novel. Well, we can do. A, we did a review of the Force Awakens. We did an episode like that we on did. Bookworms. Yes, so I think so. We can do it for Rogue One. Yeah, I think we'll have a review episode. I don't know if we'll find a cool guest or if it'll just be me and you, but we'll definitely do some sort of a review. And I'm hoping that uh, we get to kind of look back on some of the things that we talked about in this episode and see if we we're right or wrong. Yeah, for sure. Alrighty, well. Uh, we are looking at Life Debt and the Chewbacca comic volume as being some of the next things we are going to review. You can find us on Twitter. We are at SWBookworms, and you can email us, StarWarsBookworms, at gmail.com. And we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash StarWarsBookworms. Uh, iTunes, leave us a review if you haven't yet and you enjoy our show. We'd love for you to head on over to iTunes and leave us a nice five-star review. Um, you can find Teresa on Twitter and Instagram at IceColdPenguin. 
You can find me at AV Goins. And yes, if you guys notice, we did skip Life Debt, but we will go back to it. Uh, we're not skipping that novel. We are going to review that one soon. And until next time. Keep on reading, and may the force be with you.